0: everybody. Please take your seat. And good morning. Oh, there was no enthusiasm there. Good. Okay. Selamat pagi. Telemakazi. Great to be back at Praise Center again. It's been uh, almost a year, I think, since I was here last time. And uh, I love coming to this church and really great to be here again. I was booked in to preach at your church in December last year. And I'd just come home from Bangladesh and I'd been home for two days and I got a really bad cough the night before I was supposed to preach here. And in the morning I woke up and I felt horrible and I thought, I better do a rat test just in case. And I had COVID. So I had to text your pastor to say, sorry, pastor, I can't come. I've got COVID. And he was very gracious and he let me off the hook. uh, But here I am. So I've had three months of letting this message brew in my heart, so I'm ready to preach today if you're ready to listen. I'll, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm out there too. Thank you. All right, I'm going to get right into the message today um, and just, just share what's on my heart also. My message today is found from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. And we'll have a look at the story that transpires from verse 10 through to verse number 22. And the question I want to ask today is, well, what is the house of God? Uh, We speak about going to church every week, but what is the house of God? And my message today is part sermon, it is part prayer, and it is part prophecy. Looking at what is the house of God? As we begin to read the scriptures, we realize that God has always wanted to live with his people. God wants to be with his people. He longs to be with his people and for his people to long to be with him. And in the Old Testament, we read about God meeting with his people in a garden and then in a tabernacle and later. In a temple. But when the New Testament comes, everything changes. For through the work of Jesus upon the cross and through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we can now meet with God anywhere, anytime. But ask again, but what is the house of God? And to answer that question, we're going to have a look at this text here. And the reason is because this is the first place in the Bible where the phrase house of God is used. And when something is first mentioned in scripture, it is often indicative of what God intended. Not what may have transpired or developed later, but what God intended. For example, the first reference to marriage in the Bible is between a man. And one woman. But later in the Bible you have one man married to many women. And that's a different sermon, and I am not going to go there today. But my point is that when something is first mentioned in Scripture, it shows us what God intends. So if we can understand the characteristics of the house of God from this passage, we can understand what is the house of God. But allow me me to paint the background for you. The principal man in our story today is a man called Jacob. And Jacob had capitalised upon his older brother Esau's weakness and deceived him out of his birthright. And then in conspiracy with his mother, Jacob had then deceived his father Isaac into receiving the blessing as the firstborn son. Consequently, Esau was fueled by bitterness and determined to kill Jacob. So following his mother's advice and with his father's blessing, Jacob set out from where he lived in Beersheba to go and visit and run away to his uncle Laban in Haran. Jacob reached a certain place to rest that he would later call Bethel, Not realising that he was about to have a dream in which he would encounter God. And it was during this dream that he had a revelation of the house of God. Allow me to read a couple of verses to you. Verses 16 and 17 of our text read, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. A little bit later, he made a vow. And as part of that vow, in verse number 22, we read, this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So Jacob referred to that place, that stone, as the house of God. And all I can say is, well, what a strange house. But I want uh, my question today and my title and my message is, well, what is the house of God? What is the house of God? Number one, the first thing we see in this passage that characterizes the house of God is that the house of God is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. Number one, the house of God is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. So Jacob is in the middle of a desert and he's using a rock as a pillow. And yet in verse number 17, it says, This is none other than the house of God. So the first mention of the phrase house of God in the Bible, and it's a stone. But importantly, it wasn't that geographical place or that physical rock so much as what happened in that place. And in that place, Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth and going all the way to heaven. And in that dream, he had a vision of God. And in verse number 13 of our text, it says, There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So it wasn't necessarily the stone or that geographical place, but what happened in that place, and that was a place where he met with God and God met with him. Obviously what this shows us is the house of God is not necessarily a building, but it is any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. For any time and every time God's people gather together to meet with God, they form the house of God. It is the gathering of God's people that constitutes the house of God. It doesn't matter where we meet or when we meet or how few or how many, when we do so, when we come together to meet with Him, we, we become the house of God. And we've got to align our thinking with the Word of God. It's not so much that we go to church, but that the church comes together. If I was to ask you today, how are you, church? Did you have a good sleep last night? Church, I'm not speaking to the four walls or the roof. I am speaking to you. Although if the four walls of the church are speaking to you today, come and talk to me at the end of the service and we shall pray. And we thank God for this this great building that God has given you. But these four walls are not the house of God. It is the gathering of God's people that is the house of God. And even though we've got this great building... And even though we've got great sound systems and music and technology, may we remember that these things do not constitute the house of God. It is the gathering of the people of God. And it could be in a magnificent cathedral. It could be as it is in many parts of the world where God's people gather underneath a tree. Or it could be in a rented hall. It is the gathering of God's people that is the house of God. And when we do so to meet with Him, that is God's house. The most, one of the most powerful experiences I ever had with God was in a car. A friend and I had just been preaching at a children's camp in Portsea and we were driving home and we were listening to a cassette. Does anybody remember cassettes? And we were listening to a cassette of worship music and as we were singing along, the lyrics of those songs got into our heart. And we began to sing with all of our heart. We began to speak out the praises of God. We began to shout out to God. And I'm just so grateful that my friend who was driving did not close his eyes and raise up his hands. Otherwise I would be in big trouble today. But as we began to worship, suddenly the glory of God, the presence of God just filled our lives and filled that car. I would suggest to you on that day, on that free, Way in that car, it was the house of God because we were meeting with Him and He was meeting with us. And remembering also that in a New Testament sense, we, you, other house of God. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus comes and makes His home, His house within you through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And Paul taught that we corporately as believers now constitute the new temple of God. And as mentioned, because of the cross and the resurrection and the indwelling of the holy spirit we can now meet with god anywhere anytime and i once heard a preacher say and he was more eloquent than me he said this you may never be invited to the white house to visit the president and you may never be invited to buckingham palace to visit the king but all you've got to do is say in the name of jesus and you are brought into the most holy place in all of the universe and we can meet with god anywhere anytime so what is this building that God has given you? It's a place where we come together to meet with God. A place to meet with one another. A place to be encouraged, to be refreshed, to be equipped and to receive empowerment to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Remembering too that the early church did not have permanent buildings for 400 years until the time of the emperor Constantine. And yet the early church turned the world upside down. On the morning of the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the prayer meeting. By the end of that day, there were 3,120 people. And then in Acts 2 verse number 47, it says that the Lord added daily to their number and then in Acts 4 verse 4 it says their numbers grew to 5,000 and then in Acts 6 verse, verse 6 it tells us that their numbers increased rapidly and this was ever before they had a permanent building and all I can say pray center with all that God has given you how much more is he about to do in this house of God so if the house of God is not necessarily a building I ask again what is the house of God? And the second thing we see in this passage that characterises house of God is this, is that the house of God is a place of revelation. The house of God is a place of revelation. And this is, we're about to change gears. But the revelation of what? What did Jacob receive a revelation of out there in the middle of the desert? He received a revelation Of the presence of God. He received a revelation of the presence of God. And the house of God is where the Lord reveals his presence. Verse 16 of our text reads, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God. So this is my prayer for Praise Center this morning. Lord, let every person who ever attends the gatherings of this church whether large or small or formal or informal, may they say, having met with these people, the Lord is in this place. May the small groups and the youth ministry and the kids church and the Sunday services be saturated in the presence of the living God. And may the reaction of every unconverted person who engages with this church in any shape or form be, God is in this place. Lord, even though this great, great, major Ministries and programs and systems and songs, may whatever other impression that people have, may the dominant reality be the Lord is in this place. And this only comes through worship. And praise, worship and praise that touches God and brings a sense of the presence and the glory of God. Because when the manifest presence of God fills the gathering of God's people, there is intimacy, there is encounter, there is revelation. And may praise and worship characterize this house of God. So Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God, but he also had a revelation of the person of Jesus. He didn't realise it at the time, but he had a revelation of the person of Jesus. For there was a stairway in his dream, That rested on earth and went all the way to heaven. And in his dream he saw angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder or the stairway. And the stairway reached from where he was on earth all the way to heaven. And we have to wait hundreds of years to find out what that stairway means. And to do so, I want to take you to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse number 47, that reads. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So Jesus knew everything about Nathanael. Then it goes on, verse number 48. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus knew who he was, but Jesus also knew where he was. But this is the most powerful part. Jesus even knew what Nathaniel had been thinking about. Verse number 49 says, Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. To which Jesus replied, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. For I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So under the fig tree, Nathanael had been meditating about this passage of Scripture about Jacob's dream. But what was the point that Jesus was making when he said to Nathanael, you shall see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Basically what Jesus was saying there was, Nathanael... I am the stairway. I am the foot of the stairway. My friends today, Jesus is heaven come down. And Jesus is the way by which we can get to heaven. For the Lord was later to say, John 14 verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the foot of the stairway that takes us to heaven. So my declaration today is Lord when people come into this house where your people are meeting and maybe they're full of problems or emptiness or guilt or shame or pain may they encounter the revelation of your presence through our worship and praise and may that lead them to Jesus who is the foot of the stairway and as they reach out to Jesus something will happen in their life for there is only one way that people can come to know God there is only one way that we can appropriate the sacrifice for sin that has been made for us. There is only one mediator or advocate between God and humankind. There is only one way to heaven and His name is Jesus. He is the foot of the stairway. So Lord, today, let every person who walks into the gathering of God's people here at Praise Centre, may they meet you who is the foot of the stairway. And Lord, let every person who calls this church their home church be filled with a supernatural fire and zeal by the Spirit of God to tell other people about Jesus. And may everyone in this local church be filled with a, a burden for lost people, a passion to reach them and a commitment to disciple them in Jesus. Name. May your corporate and may your private gatherings reveal. Jesus. May Jesus be preached. May Jesus be encountered. May Jesus be glorified. May Jesus be manifest. May Jesus transform people's lives. May Jesus heal the sick bodies. May Jesus deliver people from demonic oppression. May Jesus be seen in our love and felt by our touch and heard in our voices. Let this house of God be filled with Jesus. So Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God. He had a revelation of the Son of God, although he didn't know it at the time. But he also had a revelation of the ministry of angels. He had a revelation of the ministry of angels. Now remember that in his dream, he saw the angels ascending and descending. And Jesus is not only the way to God, but Jesus is the way by which we receive from God. The angels were coming down. Friends, today I believe in angels. And angels are in this room, this gathering right now, and they are ministering to the lives of people. But who or what are the angels? Well, according to the rhetorical question in Hebrews 1:14, it says, "Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit" Salvation. And if you have put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you are an heir of salvation. And we have got angels that guard our life. Psalm 91:11 reads: He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And please listen to this: angels are God's means or God's agents to watch over, to protect, and to minister to. Our lives. Angels are God's means or God's agents to watch over, protect and minister to our lives so that in the house of God, not only do we find Jesus who is the foot of the stairway, but as we reach out to Him, He sends the angels down to look after us and to minister to our lives. So my declaration over you today is this, Lord, even though some of these people may have had an horrific week and feel so confused or so disorientated as they come into your house, let them experience a revelation of your presence and may that presence lead them to Jesus. And Lord, as we reach out to Jesus, send your angels down to minister to our lives. And Lord, may may we be touched and our lives totally changed. I want to ask you today, what's the good of coming to church if we walk out exactly the same way that we have come? If you come to a building... That's what happens. That's what happens. You will walk out the same way that you've come. If you do not enter into praise and worship, you will walk out the same way that you've come. If you do not reach out to Jesus, you will walk out the same way that you have come. But when you come into the gathering of God's people where they're worshiping Him and they're focusing upon Jesus, I want to say to you to friends, you will never be the same again. What a place. This is the house of God. But let me just bring a qualifying statement here. We do not worship angels. We do not glorify angels. We do not seek angels. We do not focus upon angels. Our focus is on Jesus who sends the angels. Because Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our justifier. Jesus is our saviour. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our provider. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our all in all. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our alpha and omega. And as we reach out to Him, He sends the angels down. But what happens in a meeting invisibly and inaudibly, we do not know or we do not need to know. All we know is this, is that Jesus is everything in every way at all times and we should be reaching out to Him. And may angels fill this place. So Jacob had a revelation of the presence of God. He had a revelation of the Son of God. He had a revelation of the angels of God. But then he also had a revelation of God's purpose for his life. He had a revelation of God's purpose for his life. Jacob, I don't know how to say this nicely, was a self-consumed rascal. There was only one person in Jacob's life and that was Jacob. When Jacob looked in the mirror, he just went, hey, that's me, me, me. That's enough about you. How about me? All Jacob thought about was himself. He didn't deserve a revelation at all. But this is one of the mysteries of God, that God doesn't treat us as we deserve He treats us with mercy and grace. And we must remember that uh, He didn't choose us on the basis of what we were or are, but on the basis of what we will become in Him. And a lot of Christians, they, they feel defeated and they feel like God couldn't love them and God shouldn't love them because they've done the wrong things and they've been to the wrong places. But I pray that today we have a revelation of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the kindness of God that is in Christ Jesus, that He comes to the least likely p- p- people in the most unlikely of places to say, I love you and I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Jacob has longed for spiritual realities, but he's gone about seeking them the wrong way. Nevertheless, verse 13 says that God said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. In other words, Jacob, even though you've been a naughty boy, I am your God. He has deceptively sought the inheritance of the firstborn. Now God says, verse 13, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He's not even married. But in verse 14, the Lord says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. Up to this point, he's done nothing but rip people off his entire life. And yet God says, verse 14, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. He's in the desert. He's alone and he's vulnerable and uncertain about the future. Yet in verse 15, God says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, the house of God was a place where he received the knowledge of the purpose of God for his life. And if you need guidance today, if you need direction in your life, I want to say, friends, in the house of God is where you find who you are and what you're on the earth to do. It's in his house. For the house of God is a place of revelation. Number three, a third thing we see in, in this passage that characterises house of God is this. The house of God is a place of unity. The house of God is a place of unity. Now, as you know, I'm in a a different church every every week and once a month, some, some part overseas somewhere. And if there's one thing the Holy Spirit is saying all over the world at the moment, it's this word unity. It's this word oneness. In verse number 22 of our text, as he makes his vow, he said, and this stone that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. So Jacob referred to the house of God as one stone. What is the spiritual significance of this? Well, one of the New Testament pictures of the church is that it is the body of Christ. The church is a part of Christ. When we gave our life to Jesus, we were baptised into the body of Christ and Jesus came and made his home within us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am in him and he is inside of me. And listen to what Peter said. 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, have being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what was Peter trying to say here? That before we knew Jesus, we were a dead pile of rocks, but we were touched by the living stone. And when Jesus touched our life, resurrection power brought us spiritually alive. We were made alive by the grace and the power of God. And with us now, He is building a living temple, not made with human hands like these walls here, but by the hand of God. And we have not been made alive to do our own independent thing. We've been made alive to be part of this living house, this body, this house of God. And even though we're individual stones, we are called to be one. The New Testament church was to be one body. So I would suggest you are not a member of this church, you are a limb of this church. It is not membership, it is limbship. And when you're part of a body like my limbs, you are attached, you are connected, you are committed. It's like marriage, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. That if God had joined you here, you are 1000% committed to this house. As long as we breathe, this is body, this is fellowship, this is New Testament church. But that means that we've really got to work hard to foster and protect our unity. Let me tell you a story. Uh, on the screen will be a picture of a doll. And many years ago, we had a British preacher come through our church and he held a doll like that one in one hand and a pair of scissors in the other hand. But he didn't refer to them at all and he started to preach and started to talk. And while he was preaching, he gets some scissors And cuts off an arm of the doll. And people are looking around at their friends like, what what is this guy doing? But he doesn't refer to the doll at all and he continues to preach. And a little bit later, he gets the scissors and he cuts off a leg of the doll. And I could see people now moving in their seats uncomfortably like, What is this guy doing? And they're they're nudging each other like, what is this guy doing to this poor doll up there? But he doesn't refer to the doll at all. And then a little bit later, he gets the scissors and he cuts off the head of the doll. He's mutilating this poor doll. And the head goes, boom, onto the ground. And I can see see people just really uncomfortable and shifting in their seat. And he suddenly stopped and he said this, some of you, he said, i more concerned about this doll than you are with the body of Christ that's being ripped apart by division. So he said, I want to talk to you today about unity. And he had everybody's attention from, from that moment. And my friends today, there are many things that divide us in the Christian church. Some people believe some doctrines, some people don't. Some people believe in vaccines and some people don't. Some people believe in some tenets of the faith and other people don't. But rather than focus upon the things that divide us, why don't we focus upon the things that unite us? Like we are all purchased by the same blood of Jesus. We're all indwelt by the same spirit of Jesus. We all have a hope and a future in Jesus. Let's not give our adversary any ammunition or opportunity to cause division in his church, but may we come together in that sense of unity. Let me make another point here also, that true New Testament church is not great meetings. It is great relationships let me say it again the true new testament church is not how great the meeting was But that's the authenticity of the relationships that that, that we have one with the other. We have a strong responsibility to be committed one to the other. Think of all the one another's in the Word of God. We have a responsibility to preserve and to protect our our unity. And I caution you today to guard against division and divisive people. To watch out for and watch over each other's lives. To serve and exercise our gifts. To disciple the young and restore the strays do you remember that prayer of jesus in john 17 his great high priestly prayer he prayed for prayer center in fact he prayed for all churches this is what he prayed john 17 verse 21 that all of them may be one father just as you are in me and i am in you that they may be one as we are one may they be brought to complete unity so here is my declaration for you today May the individual people who are called by God and joined by God to this house be committed to you and to your people and to your cause. May these people have an unshakable, uncompromising unity. And may they fearlessly and fervently protect their unity. And Lord, may these people be one, even as you are one. And as this church gets bigger, that it would get smaller. And may these people have such a love for one another that people in the community can't find relationships like it. And may their unity be demonstrated in supporting and encouraging and giving and praying and enjoying and celebrating and laughing and crying and doing life together. Let this house be a house of unity. And last one, number four, and this is the shortest, so don't worry, lunch is coming and I would never stand between an Indonesian and their lunch. (laughs) Number four is this, the house of God is a place of anointing. The house of God is a place of anointing. Verse 18 of our text reads Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. In scripture, oil is a symbol of the work and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the first time in the Bible, a first reference to oil. And consecration. In other words, oil being poured out to signify the consecration or the setting apart of something for a sacred purpose. And the symbolism for us is profound. Because as far as the house of God is concerned, the Holy Spirit is not just an option. We can never be what God has called us to be or do what God has called us to do without the mighty fullness of the Spirit of God. We can have buildings, we can have structures, we can have programs, but without the Spirit it's just a structure, it's just a building and a program. We need the Holy Spirit. For example, in the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle that was built according to the pattern that God had given it. But it wasn't the house of God until oil was poured over every part of it and over the priests to consecrate them for divine service. Or the Lord Jesus Himself. How that He began, He had a supernatural conception and and a supernatural birth. But He did did not begin His ministry until that day at the Jordan when the heaven opened And the Spirit moved upon him. And Acts 10 verse number 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon our lives. So my final declaration over you today is this. May praise center. Yet know a unique and special outpouring of the Holy Spirit to touch the city and the nation and the nations. May the empowering of the Holy Spirit energise each and every person in this house. And may this house of God be filled with healing power, anointed preaching, anointed worship, empowered witnessing. Let this house of God be a house of anointing. So in conclusion and summary today, We've been asking the question, what is the house of God? And to answer that question, we've gone back to the very first reference to the phrase house of God in Scripture. And we've seen four things out of many. Number one, we've seen that the house of God is not necessarily a building, but any place where we meet with him and he meets with us. In your small group during the week, that is, is the house of God. When you're meeting with another believer and you're praying together and talking about the Lord, that is the house of God. It could be in in, in a cafe, it could be in a home, it could be in a car, but when you're meeting together with Him, that is the house of God. Number two, that the house of God is a place of revelation where the Lord reveals His presence, His Son, His angels, His purpose for our life. Number three, The house of God is a place of unity that we are called to come together and be one as He is one. And number four, oh God, do this today. That the house of God will be a place of anointing, a place to really experience Him. Would you mind standing with me, please? Thank you, if you'd like to lead us. Let's enter into praise and worship. Let's enter in. Draw near to Him his house.